Hello, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best day move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I'm, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, my international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, streaming, TVs, all sorts of good stuff. And I am flying solo here today. I'm flying solo and actually going to let you in behind the curtain a little bit. This is actually being pre-recorded today. Very, very rarely I do a pre-recorded episode of the John Campy Show. Today necessitated at very last minute uh, yesterday. I had a meeting come up that was going to require me to go out of town. So I'm actually probably traveling right now as you're seeing this video. So, But I wanted to do this episode today regardless. So I pre-recorded this episode. And that's what we're going to do here today. And hey, guys, listen, if you're hanging around here right now and you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the John Campia YouTube channel, keep you up to date on all the various things that we've got going on around here. All right, guys, listen, today's also a little bit different because today's really just one topic that I, I want to discuss and talk about. And if you'll be patient with me and walk through this with me, I think it's a pretty important topic that sheds a lot of light for people like me on a particularly huge situation. Let's start off by talking about uh, this. And the only main thing we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to go into our live questions that were sent in before we started doing the show here. And that's this. You know, a lot of question marks have been surrounding a lot of various movies in this pandemic plague year as major film after major film has been bumped and moved and all that kind of stuff. And one of those major films, of course, is Black Widow. Now, a lot of people have then been talking about, understandably so, about what should be done with all of these, you know, high profile projects and films and things like that, should they go to streaming? Should they stay theatrical? And you guys know my point of view on this for the most part is that as the pandemic gets longer and longer, I've been saying this for a long time, as the pandemic gets longer and longer, what was impossible eight months ago becomes increasingly possible, right? And the longer the pandemic goes, the more things become possible that would have been impossible before. <clears throat> now, I've still always kind of maintained that I thought that Studios like Disney, Warner Brothers, things like that, they will withhold their big tentpole films for theatrical because you simply cannot make up for that money you're going to lose on the theatrical side. You simply can't. Streaming, VOD, all that kind of stuff cannot touch the upper end of the potential that a lot of these big high-profile films can make theatrically for you. And then you go ahead and put it on streaming, right? Then you move it over to streaming and you get the best of both worlds. So in the case of a movie like Black Panther, Black Panther, in a case of the movie like Black Widow, I've always kind of said, you know, I, there's no way they're gonna, Disney's going to put that thing over onto Disney Plus. There's just no way. But more and more time passes. And I still said as time passed, there's no way they're going to put Black Widow on there. There's, they, they just can't. You can't do that. But then it gets longer and longer. And I'm now here today to tell you that I believe and there's a reason why in the title of this video, the word likely is there, because I cannot tell you this with certainty, but I now believe it is likely, not just possible. I believe it is likely that Black Widow is about to be announced to go straight to Disney+. And I'm, I'm, it's not just pure you know, intuition. There's some reasons I believe that. I'm going to explain those reasons to you now. So listen, one of the things that happens to me a lot is I get a lot of people in the industry and around the industry that write me all the time to, to give me scoops, right? 99% of the time I ignore them. Uh, and 95% of the time I was right to ignore them. Every once in a while, a story breaks where I go, huh? Yeah. Somebody tipped me off about that four weeks ago and I ignored it. But 95% of the time I was right to ignore them because it usually ends up being nothing. So I tell you that because a number of weeks ago, uh, one of these people did reach out to me and said that Disney is actually seriously like it's likely they're going to put Black Widow onto Disney Plus as a result of the pandemic accelerating their plans to go to streaming. Now, this is really going to be the focal point of what it is we're talking about here today. All right. The idea of Disney accelerating their plans of going all in on streaming. 
Now, we've all been saying for a long time that, oh, it's clear Disney's going all in on streaming. It's clear that Disney's going all in on streaming. But I don't think a lot of us fully grasped the totality of what Disney going all in on streaming really meant. At any rate, this person reaches out to me and says, um, you know, Disney is actually very, very close to making a decision to going ahead and moving things over to Disney Plus as it pertains to Black Widow as a part of their plan to now accelerate their plans to switch everything over to streaming. That was like many other things that I just ignored. Uh, I thought, yeah, hey, it can't happen. But here's the thing. Then in the last couple of days, I got contacted again by somebody else that specifically said, uh, yeah, John, Black Widow is going to Disney Plus and it is going to be announced on December 10th where Disney has an Investors Day meeting, right? There's a big virtual Investors Day going on December 10th and that on December 10th, which is not too far away, so we'll know if this is BS or not pretty soon, but on December 10th, Disney is going to announce at that Investors virtual meeting that Black Widow is indeed going to be brought over to streaming. They didn't have a time frame for it. They just had a time frame for when it was going to be announced. And the more I thought about it, now, just so you know, I did my due diligence. I reached out to an official Disney, uh, through official Disney channels. I reached out. I told them what I had been informed of, and I wanted to know if they had any sort of comment. Not surprisingly, they had no comment. They didn't get back to me with any comment whatsoever. That doesn't mean anything pro or negative. Like if what I am telling you, if what I was told that Black Widow is going to Disney Plus, they wouldn't get back to me. If it was totally wrong and it's not going to Disney Plus, they still probably nine times out of 10 wouldn't get back to me anyway. So let's not take no comment from Disney as being any sort of confirmation or validation of the statement. But the more I thought about it, once I got that second piece of information saying Black Widow was actually going to be going straight to Disney Plus, and remembering what the original person told me about, this is a part of Disney wanting to accelerate its plans going to moving everything over to Disney Plus, I decided to sit back and look at the situation in its wide totality. And the more I looked at the whole picture, I got to tell you guys, the more and more I started to buy into this that Disney is doing. Now, whether I think it's the right move or the wrong move is inconsequential at this point. The main point, though, is, is that the more I looked at the big picture, the more and more I started to believe these things that I was getting told. Like I said, nine times out of ten, it's BS the stuff I get told. But I think when you stand back and look at the big picture, I think also you will start to see, yeah, maybe this really does make sense to the point that I am willing to say that I believe that Black Widow moving straight to Disney Plus is no longer a possibility, but rather a likelihood. And again, let me be very clear here. I am not here today. There's an important reason why I put that word likely in the title. I cannot sit here today and confirm for you that this is what's happening. I'm not going to be completely shocked if December 10th comes and goes and no such announcement is made. But I want you to walk through with me, if you will indulge me. I want you to walk through with me as we go into Campia's classroom. And let's look at this situation, shall we? Let's, let's look at this situation about Disney and why I believe it's likely that Black Widow is going to be going over to Disney+. Plus. Okay, we start by going back a couple of years, all right? Now, follow me here as we step into the classroom. Disney bought Fox for $71.3 billion. Now, to a lot of us, anything over $10,000 is just weird math and numbers. Like, you could you could have said they bought it for 78 kajillion, bajillion space diamonds. And it would just mean the same to us, right? You get into these astronomical numbers. $71.3 billion. Huge number. To put it in context, though, remember that Disney bought Marvel for about $4 billion. For four. That was a different time, yes. Disney bought Lucasfilm, a.k.a. Star Wars, for $4 billion. There was other stock considerations, of course, yes. But generally speaking, they bought Star Wars for about $4 billion. They bought Pixar for about $7.6 billion. I only throw those numbers out because when you look at those numbers and then all of a sudden you look at that Fox purchase, you start to understand these numbers are astronomical. That's an astronomical number. 
We're talking almost in the neighborhood of 10x from what they bought Pixar for. You're talking in the neighborhood of 20 times what they paid for Lucasfilm. Now, the one thing that I can tell you and that we've said all the time is that this purchase wasn't about X-Men. And it certainly wasn't uh, about uh, Fantastic Four. There are a lot of people who thought when this deal was made that it was all about, oh, so they can get X-Men in the MCU. That is not worth $3 billion, let alone $71.3 billion. So what's the deal? Well, Bob Iger has made very clear why they made a deal with, uh, with uh, like this. It was all about getting the content because they wanted to go. Bob Iger had this grand vision of moving Disney completely to streaming. And he came out and verified that in a number of interviews that it's just, it's all about streaming. It's all about getting the library content and all about getting IP. So we have tons of library content and tons of IP for future development. And he goes on to say, we would not have done that transaction. We wouldn't have spent $71.3 billion had we not decided to go in this direction, he says, because if we hadn't, we would have been looking at that business and through a traditional lens. Oh, we're buying TV channels. We're buying more movie making capabilities, et cetera. But that's not what it was about for Bob Iger in spending $71.3 billion on buying Fox. It was all about them getting the IP, them getting the library content. And why is getting this library content so important? Well, here's the thing as we uh, continue on here. Why is getting that library content so important? Because of this. Listen to this. Variety reported that 80% of Netflix, 80% of Netflix viewership. Now, this is a report from last year. But Variety reported that 80% of Netflix viewership in the U.S. was attributed to licensed shows, not their original content. You would think... And I remember when we talked about this on the John Campus show when this report first came out, you would think, oh, the majority of people who watch Netflix are watching Stranger Things and they're watching House of Cards and they're watching all these various original Netflix things. But the report actually said that 80% of Netflix's viewership in the U.S. was attributed to licensed show, curated content, library content including network television reruns, with the remaining 20% attributed to originals. Only one out of every five times somebody turned on Netflix was it to watch a Netflix original. The study also found that 42% of subscribers watch mostly licensed content. Things like, I mean, uh, The Office isn't there anymore, but things like The Office, things like Friends, things like Parks and Rec, things like How I Met Your Mother, stuff like that. That's what people were watching. Curated content, library content. Well, 18% of their viewers primary, primarily watched uh, originals. What does this mean? It means that, what does this means? It means in streaming, library, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, a library is more important than original programming. Library content, as I fix my spelling mistakes, as I'm trying to do, oh, I just wanted me to put in the, anyway, library, in streaming, library content is actually more important than original programming, at least currently. Now, I'm sure I believe that 80% number from when that report came out, I think that 80% number has gone down a little bit and that 20% viewership number of people who watch original content has gone up a little bit, but it gives you a picture, right? It gives you a picture that we are talking about the a massive difference between the amount of people who watch library and the amount of people who watch original content. This is why, you remember this? Disney Plus now has 73 million subscribers in just one year. Disney Plus has 73 million subscribers in just one year. And how much premium, there's been a lot of lower budget stuff, but honestly, how much premium original content have they put out? Hardly any. They put out Mandalorian and they had Hamilton. As far as premium original content goes, that's all they put out. And yet they were able to amass 73 million subscribers in just one year. What does that tell you? It tells you this, that in streaming library, at least for now, library is actually more important than original content because Disney plus has a library 
to die for. Disney Plus has an, a library that's absolutely to die for. So understand that as our, as our base point. Now let's move on to this. Bob Iger already said years ago that they bought Fox specifically for the library content and for the IP so that they can have stuff there now and have stuff that they can develop later. Bob Iger then referred to uh, direct-to-consumer. Now, that's another way of saying streaming, right? Disney+, Plus, Hulu, ESPN+, Plus. these are Disney's direct-to-consumer entertainment products. It, they say direct-to-consumer because it's bypassing a third party. It's bypassing a Blu-ray distribution company. It's bypassing the movie theaters. Bob Iger has said, our future is direct-to-consumer entertainment product like Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus. And he said that this is their biggest priority. That was said in the Hollywood Reporter. That was said in the Hollywood Reporter. That it is their biggest priority. Okay. Now follow me here. John, what does this have to do with Black Widow maybe going to Disney Plus? Ah, we're getting to that. Because it means why, why is Disney, in talking about why would Disney put Black Widow directly over to something like Disney Plus. Why would they? To understand that, we first have to wrestle with and understand why is Disney going completely all in on the streaming? Theatrical has been very kind to them, especially last year. 2019 was a record-breaking year for them. So why does Disney want to go all in on streaming? Okay, let's start looking at, at this stuff. Let's start looking at this. Um, first of all... Um, Wait a second. That's the wrong thing. First of all, there we go. Netflix, let's look at the Netflix model for a second, okay? Because this is going to become very important understanding Disney's move over to direct to consumer. Netflix has 193 million global subscribers. That equals to their, in their last 12 months, in Netflix's last 12 months, they have generated, uh, this comes from Statica, they have generated $23.81 billion in revenue, all right? Netflix has acquired 193 million subscribers, which has ultimately accumulated in the last 12 months alone, they have generated $23.81 billion in revenue. That's revenue, though. That's not profit. As a matter of fact, right now, as weird as it is to think about, Netflix operates in a deficit. They actually spend more money than they make right now. What does this have to do with Disney Plus? You'll see. Just follow along with me here. These are important numbers to understand. So they generated $23.81 billion in revenue in the last 12 months. However, and we, I was only able to get the 2019 numbers here. Netflix spent $14.7 billion in licensing fees, not original content, not original content. And this number, this right here, guys, remember this. This is going to become very important in a few minutes as we move on in our discussion. This fact right here is going to become very important as we move forward, okay? But Netflix spent $14.7 billion in licensing fees for non-original content. So all, every time you see one of these, you know, rerun shows and all that kind of stuff that is now sitting on Netflix, Netflix had to pay a licensing fee to have that stuff on their platform. And in 2019, I didn't have the 2020 numbers, but in 2019, they spent $14.7 billion in that licensing. On top of that, Netflix spent $10 billion. 9.8, 9.9, something around there, but roughly spent about 10 billion on their original programming. Now that includes the high profile acquisitions. So not licensing content, but outright buying content. So that becomes a Netflix original. That includes, you know, all their high profile original programming, all the lower cheap ass stuff. And they do a lot of the lower and cheap ass stuff, but they spent 9.8, 9.9. We're just going to round it up and say 10, spent $10 billion in original programming. Now, on top of all that, they also spent $4 billion. The actual number, again, is about 3.9, but we're going to round it up for now, for the argument's sake. They spent $4 billion in sales, general, and administrative. So basically, the cost of doing business, aside from getting their actual content. 
their operating costs, excluding content, is about four billion. Okay, so what does that leave us? You got fourteen. You know, for, instead of saying fourteen point seven, for now we're just going for argument's sake round up to fifteen. You got fifteen plus ten billion plus four. Well, that equals twenty nine billion dollars. Twenty nine billion. When the revenue only equaled to let's round up the 23 point something to 24 equals 24 billion. They're actually 5 billion in the hole. That's why at the end of 2020, Netflix, I believe is going to be carrying a debt of about $30 billion. I believe their overall company debt is about $30 billion. But listen, when you're generating 23 billion a year, having 30 billion in debt is, is not a tragic thing. It's not, it's not the worst thing in the world, but we just bring this up to illustrate the point that Netflix is generating 23 with 193 million subscribers. They're, they generated 23 point something. We'll say $24 billion in revenue in the last 12 months, but they're spending like 29 billion. Okay. So then why would Disney become completely obsessed with this? Why would Disney become completely obsessed with this and want to move towards that Netflix model if Netflix isn't doing, you know, if they're spending more money every year than they're making? Well, Netflix's long-term plan is to increase revenue and decrease costs. They're willing to spend all this money right now and go into this debt right now because their long-term plan is that turns around and then that profitability becomes sustainable and there, therefore it goes. But it's not just Bob Iger. Even the new CEO, Bob Chapek, right? This is from C uh, CNBC that right in October, that's just last month, Disney CEO Bob Chapek announced a full company, listen to this, a full company reorganization to prioritize and boost Disney Plus. The whole function, the main target for Disney, According to Disney CEO Bob Chapek, they have done a complete company reorganization to put their top priority squarely on direct-to-consumer. Again, that's just another way of saying streaming. Given the incredible success of Disney Plus and our plans to accelerate our direct-to-consumer business, we are strategically positioning our company to more effectively support our growth strategy and increase shareholder value, Chapek said in a statement announcement to CNBC. So listen, it's clear. This is their plan. They have done a complete company reorganization to put everything. And Bob Iger, who is still the chairman of CEO, said this is our top priority. Direct-to-consumer is top priority. Okay, so why? Why is this their top priority? Well, here's why. Remember the Netflix math, right? Remember the Netflix math. Okay, here's why. Direct-to-consumer is now Disney's number one priority and how this will eventually lead us to why I believe Black Widow is likely probably going to end up on Disney Plus and bypass theaters. So let's follow this. Disney, as of right now, has 73 million. I actually accidentally put the dollar sign there. Ignore the dollar sign. Let me get that rid of that. Um, right now, Disney Plus has 73 million subscribers at $7 a month. Now, some are free signups. Some might be a little bit less. Some have the, the mega bonus deal with that, that packages in Hulu and Disney Plus. And so it's a little bit more than $7, but just roughly, okay, just for our, just for our estimate's sake, okay, just for our rough estimate's sake, let's say $7 a month. That equates to roughly $6.1 billion per year in revenue. That is a far cry from the 20-something billion dollars that Netflix has in revenue. But when they raise the price to $10 a month, and you know with every fiber of your being, they, you know, Bob Iger even said that we're going to start, we're going to launch Disney Plus at $6.99 or $7 a month. We're going to launch with that. You know Disney Plus is not going to stay at $7 a month, okay? We all know it's jumping to minimum $10, right? So we know that. But when it raises to $10... All of a sudden, that $6.1 billion in year, a year in revenue turns into $8.7 billion in revenue, okay? Or roughly one-third of what Netflix generates, which is understandable because right now, Disney Plus has roughly one-third the number of subscribers that Disney Plus or that Netflix has, right? So it kind of equates out to that $8.1 billion. But here's, remember... 
Disney is not about let's do something and see the effect of it right now. Disney and Bob Iger about let's plant the seeds now for where we're going to be in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years. Because here's the thing. By the end of 2023, Disney Plus, by some industry experts' projections, is projected to grow from 73 million subscribers to 200 million subscribers. Not overnight, but by the end of 2023. If they keep the monthly price, and you know by the end of 2023, Disney Plus will be more than $10, but let's say they keep the price at just $10. That will equate to $24 billion in revenue, which makes sense because that 200 million subscribers is roughly what Netflix has right now, and $24 billion in revenue is roughly what Netflix generates right now. So these numbers all make sense. As I was like, I'm looking at this, yeah, this makes sense. And by the way, these numbers does not include Hulu, which has 35 million subscribers, or ESPN Plus, which also has umpteen number of million subscribers. So this direct-to-consumer thing, we're only talking about Disney Plus. This 24 billion in revenue isn't even counting the revenue they'll get from Hulu and ESPN Plus. That's not an important thing right now, but just an interesting side note that these numbers don't even count uh, Hulu or ESPN Plus. Now, here's where, remember I said, let me go back to this here, this number. Remember when I said, keep this number in mind. This Netflix spent $14.7 billion in licensing for their non-original content, right? Content that they didn't own, content that they didn't produce, content they didn't own the rights for, they had to pay licensing fees to the vast, to that 80% of Netflix traffic content. $14.7 billion they spent in 2019. Here's why that number is so important, okay? This is why that number is so, so important. Let's look at where Disney Plus could be by the end of 2023 with these 200 million subscribers, with $24 billion in revenue, and how it's vastly different from the economics of Netflix. If Disney has revenue of $24 billion, let's look at their costs. Look at this number. Content licensing, zero. As of right now, Disney Plus does not license any content. Disney Plus, all the content on Disney Plus belongs to Disney. They aren't putting up reruns of Cheers, which they don't have the rights to. Although, was Cheers a Fox show? If it was a Fox show, they do own the rights to Cheers. Anyway, they don't, for instance, the old sitcom Wings, right? With Thomas Hayden Church. That's not on Disney Plus. Simpsons is there because Bob Iger bought Fox for $71.3 billion, which included a whole bunch of content. So Simpsons is there, but they're not licensing it. They own it. They own it. So let's say they spend $10 billion in original in, in developing originals, which is more, which is roughly around where, where Netflix is right now. But Netflix is kicking out like 57 pieces of original content a month. Disney is not. So I don't even think this number of spending $10 billion by the end of 2023, I don't even think it's going to be $10 billion. I think Disney is not focused because once again, let's go all the way back up to the top here. Let's go all the way back up to the top here. In streaming library, this is Disney's absolute North Star. In streaming, library is more important than programming. So even though I'm allotting $10 billion for original for original programming, for original content that they produce, you know it's probably going to be lower than that. But just for argument's sake, let's say $10 billion. Their administrative sales and general costs, let's say it's higher than Netflix. Let's because, you know, Disney is a big, intricate machine. Let's say they literally have to spend $7 billion a year just in operating costs. All right. At generating the same revenue that Netflix is generating right now, instead of $5 billion in losses, look at this number. Disney Plus not even counting Hulu or ESPN Plus, is on target to, by the end of 2023, be producing a profit of $7 billion a year. 
$7 billion per year. That's profit, not revenue. Revenue's $24 billion after you take out the production costs, operating costs. Now, listen, I am way oversimplifying this. So for anybody who's screaming at their monitors right now saying, John, you're oversimplifying, you're missing. I, I get that. But for the sake of this discussion, the general principle is there, though. And the general principle is you're looking at Disney Plus by the end of 2023 generating a profit margin of $7 billion a year. Let's put that number in context. In 2019, the Disney company as a whole, all right, Disney as a whole made a profit of $11 billion. Disney as a whole, that includes everything, the parks, Pixar, Marvel, licensing, merchandising, all their TV, they made a profit of $11 billion. The majority of that $11 billion profit came from parks and experiences, which wasn't going to surprise anybody. Disney parks, uh, you know, vacations, cruises, all that kind of stuff. Also, a lot of it came from merchandising uh, and licensing. You know, they license out the rights for certain people to make princess toys or whatever. So the majority of that $11 billion uh, a chunk of it came from the movie industry, absolutely, because they had a record-breaking year. But a majority of that profit came from parks and experiences, licensing, and all that kind of stuff. So that's $11 billion total, right? We're looking at the end of 23 of Disney Plus alone making $7 billion in profit. Alone. That's like 70%, if I'm doing my math right, that's like 70% of the overall profit that Disney is making as a company as a whole. Do you see that? That's that is really take a second to soak in this. Last year, the total profit of the company was $11 billion, including everything. We're talking by the end of 2023 that Disney Plus alone could generate $7 billion in profit all by itself. Not counting licensing or merchandising or parks and experiences or television or, or Hulu or ESPN or all their other hundreds of various little branches that they have. $7 billion in profit all by itself. It is this $7 billion in profit by the end of 2023. And hell, we're not even talking about then 2024, 2025. We're not even talking about when Disney Plus goes to like a competitive, because, you know, Netflix charges around $12.99 for North American users. We're not even talking about once Disney says, okay, we're going to make our prices competitive with Netflix. We're going to charge 12 bucks a month to be competitive with Netflix and all that. Then the number gets even higher. It gets even higher. What does this have to do let me let me do it this way. But John, um, what does this have to do uh, with Black Widow? That's a great question. What does this all have to do with Black Widow? What this has to do with Black Widow and why I believe that this is all leading us to a place that Black Widow is actually probably going to end up on Disney Plus rather than in theaters where it should go and where I've always thought it would is because what that first person told me, it makes a lot more sense now to me that Disney, while this has been a long-term strategy for Disney, not meant to be implemented or clicked in right away and all that kind of stuff, but COVID I believe has accelerated their plans. And I think right now, as Disney sits back, sits back and looks at their current situation, and they see that, you know what, hot damn, we we made we blew away our expectations. We made $73 billion, or we accumulated 73 million subscribers, I should say, in the first year in this pandemic with almost no premium original content. So they know. We can get to Netflix's numbers without having to create or generate nearly as much content as Netflix does. We have no licensing fees that we got to pay because we do it all in-house. We are going to have a significant production budget, yes, and we're going to have significant administrative and general costs, 
Yes, but look at the profit we're going to be making. We think we can accelerate our plans, especially now with Universal making these short window deals with AMC and Cinemark, especially with the question of the health long term of movie theaters being what it is. I believe in the high tower over at Disney, right? On the mouse Death Star over there in the boardrooms, Bob Iger, Bob Chapek, they all sat down and said, we can accelerate these plans. We can move these plans up by a couple of years. It's time for us to put our foot to the floor and say we are and start this major transition. And let's do that by putting our first truly big premium movie. Mulan, it was a different thing because they went PVOD and that was a disaster for them and all that kind of stuff. Let's take Black Widow and put it on Disney+. Plus. And that will be our flare signal in the air. That will be our mouse bat signal in the sky that indicates to the world we are direct-to-consumer company now. Now, that's not to say that Disney's not going to put any more movies out in theaters. It's not to say any of that. And by the way, Black Widow very well may not go direct-to-Disney+. Plus. All right, I'm, I'm still a little dubious about that. But when I sit back and I look at all these facts and numbers – and you realize what an advantageous place that Netflix is over, or not that Netflix is. When you look at such an advantageous place that Disney Plus is over Netflix, the inherent advantage they have that they own all their content. And Netflix knows this. And this is why Netflix has increasingly... Uh, moved to original. You know, Netflix has been putting, as every year passes, Netflix is putting more and more into original programming because they want to own their programming. Netflix desperately wants to get away from having to spend $14.7 billion a year in licensing fees. So they are cranking out as much original content as they can, some very good, some very bad, but they want to get to a place where this number of 14.7 billion is slashed by 80% or more. That's where they'd love to get to a place to because they recognize the inherent advantage that Warner brothers has with HBO max owning their own content. Although Warner brothers, HBO max does license a lot of content too, but they see the position that Disney is in with Disney plus. They see the position that Disney is in with Disney plus that they can have the exact same subscribers, even a cheaper price and yet they will be making $7 billion in profit, whereas Netflix is making $5 billion in losses with the same amount of subscribers and a cheaper monthly cost to the consumer. And they're making profit while Netflix is losing money. Now, Netflix is not going to lose money for long. They can pull the plug and, and they can slash their spending and still get tons of money in from revenue. They'll be fine. Netflix will be perfectly fine. Don't get me wrong. But they see what's going on with Disney and they see the position that Disney is in and that becomes very lucrative. And it is because of all of this that I really believe uh, I wouldn't bet my life on it and I wouldn't bet uh, I wouldn't bet a thousand dollars on it. But I have come to the point now that, yeah, understanding all that, you start to see why Disney is completely going all in on direct to consumer. And you can see why it becomes an attractive option for them to take Black Widow, which is a potentially $1 billion film in the theaters, potentially, and putting it straight over to Disney Plus because they'll see it as a long-term investment. They'll see it as a long-term investment. They are very, very, very serious about this whole thing. So anyway, guys, that was a, a long kind of rundown about where my mind went and how these things all broke down and shook down to me will ultimately we see black widow forego theaters and go direct to consumer or will it not i don't know for certain i believe it's likely though i could be wrong could be totally wrong but even if i'm wrong even if i'm wrong the direction Disney is heading in is a thousand percent clear. This is where they're going. This is what they're going to be. And when you look at those numbers, it's hard to blame them. I don't think it's good for us as movie fans 
because Disney knows like once we start generating 24 billion a year in revenue, Library is more important. We don't even need to spend all, we don't even have to worry all that much about creating a good amount of high quality premium content. And I, I think we as fans are going to suffer a little bit, but I can't blame Disney when you look at those numbers. It's probably the way to go. But anyway, guys, that's kind of my breakdown and my kind of thought process. What do you think about all this? And uh, yeah, I just like to hear your opinions and your thoughts. Jump on down to the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, for the remainder of my time here, we're going to take your live comments and questions. Now, of course, uh, by live, I mean all the ones that came in prior to this morning because, you know, I, I'm currently on the road. This this episode is being pre-recorded. But these all these people, you can send in a live comment or question to be read on the live comments and questions part of the show anytime you want by simply going over anytime, 24-7, to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. The link is right at the very top of the description of this video. Just go in there, fire off a tip with a question. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if it's reasonable, and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And again, you can send that in any time and see it on the very next episode. All right. With that said, let's get into it here. K Major writes, Hey, John, wouldn't the studio take into consideration the same points you made about Joby Harold and be apprehensive about his work? Maybe he finally wrote one hell of a script, or maybe it's one of those uh, looks better on paper type things. We'll see, I guess. So for those of you who don't know what K Major is talking about, on yesterday's show, uh, it came out that Steve Chappell uh, uh, or Capel Jr., who directed Creed 2, hasn't directed a lot else, but he directed Creed 2, and I thought he did a good job. Not as good, you know, as the first Creed, right? Not as quite as good as Ryan Coogler, but that's a very, very high standard. I thought Capel did a very, very good job with uh, Creed 2 nonetheless. He's going to be directing a new Transformers movie. Now, part of that story was that screenwriter Joby Harold has written the script for the new Transformers movie. And I said, that makes me a little bit apprehensive because he's written some really big flops of films, including a um, Hayden Christensen film called Awake, which is an absolutely awful, awful, awful film. And uh, Charlie Hunnam's King Arthur movie uh, that came out a couple of years ago that everybody hates. But secretly, I actually kind of like it. Uh, sue me, whatever. I kind of like it. Actually, I do like it. I like that movie, but almost everybody else hates it. Um, but yes, yeah, see, here's the thing, though. Just because he's written some bad scripts, number one, or written some scripts for bad movies, maybe the script was much better on its own and it just wasn't, the film wasn't executed right. We've seen that happen. I've seen bad movies that came out of very good scripts because it's all about the execution. And Paramount just kind of looked at his script for Transformers and thought this one's a winner. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are absolutely consideration things to take into consideration. Okay, uh, we'll bypass Aaron because we got to his yesterday. On a positive note, writes, this week, 10 years ago, we had Harry Potter 7 Part 1, and the next three days, uh, 20 years ago, we had The Grinch Stole Christmas Bounce, Rugrats in Paris, and The Sixth Day. John, why were you a fan of the next three days? And have a blessed day. I'll be honest with you on a positive note. I don't know what it is you're asking. I'm not really quite sure what it is you're asking. But it is real that it was 10 years ago that the finale of Harry Potter began with, uh, I think that was, was that not Deathly Hollows Part 1? Is that what it was called? Deathly Hollows Part 1 was 10 years ago. Man, I still remember going to that. I still remember going to that movie. That is crazy. That was 10 years ago. All right, K Major writes, I think some people are underestimating the effect movie theaters have on our culture. Oh, I absolutely agree. Who amongst us doesn't have the conversation? Hey, it's 75 degrees out and a gorgeous Saturday night. What do you, what do you want to do? Let's go to the movies and dinner. No, it's, no, it's true. It's absolutely true. You know, we've talked about this before, but uh, Chris Rock, he was talking about movie goings and how it is a staple of our culture. It's a cultural staple for us. Getting together with friends, families, dates, loved ones, whatever, and going to the movies is a cultural institution that we've had forever. And it's glorious and it's fantastic and it's awesome and it's cheaper than going to a concert and it's cheaper than going to a bar. Even with $8 bags of popcorn, it's still cheaper to do that than going to a bar and all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. And we are 
heading into the last days of movie theaters. We are heading into the last days of movie theaters, I believe. And that if that wasn't clear, then AMC and Cinemark making these very bad deals with Universal to shrink theatrical windows, that doesn't help the long-term prospects of movie going. Now, I'm certainly not sitting here saying that movie theaters are going to be gone 24 months from now. I'm not saying that. But I think the long-term prospects of movie theaters are very, very much in question now. And I lament that. You know, some people will say, yeah, we won. Streaming won. No, 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 no. We all lose. Movie theaters being gone means we all lose. Uh, that's not to say streaming can't be great and streaming can't be wonderful and that there isn't already great, fantastic streaming. Absolutely. But it would have been better if we lived in a world where it was both and. But it is looking more and more like we are heading into an either or and streaming is going to be the one that comes out. But make no mistake, everybody who's celebrating that, make no mistake, you just don't realize it yet. You lost. We all lost. And uh, we're losing something that is an incredibly special thing. And like I said, it's an institute, like Chris Rock described, it's an institution of our culture. And uh, I'm going to miss it. Whenever it does ultimately go away, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it very much. Uh, anyway, uh, Eduardo O'Neill writes, a better deal would have been under 30,000. Uh, let movies go to, I'm not quite sure what you mean. A better deal would have been under 30,000. Let movies go to PVOD very early if they want, but overlap that keeps the window the same as always. Let blockbusters make their money, but also let the relative flops recoup their losses uh, in PVOD. But see, that's the thing. You can't have like every industry professional agrees. You cannot have PVOD. There, there's a reason why for decades, movie theaters have drawn a very hard line in the sand that studios cannot do a day and date release. You've probably heard that term day and date release. Basically for this conversation, what that basically means is a studio cannot release a movie on home video in any form while also releasing it in a theaters. But John, I have heard of time. Yeah, there have been times, but most of the times that haven't been any of the major theater chains. And most of the time, it's been very, very rare, but it has happened. It has happened. But the reason movie theaters for decades have resisted and drawn a line in the sand over day and date releases, including AMC theaters, is because they realized that renders the theatrical experience moot when it comes to that movie. And they did all this. They spent millions of dollars in doing all these studies and realizing that will be a death sentence for movie theaters long term if we allow day and date release. So uh, that's why that's why that's a model that really doesn't work for movie theaters. Anyway, uh, Yak Attack writes, congrats on the new house. I don't have it yet. I don't have it yet. I, we made an offer. They accepted, but we still got to do the inspections and stuff like that. Make sure there's no surprises. So it's not a done deal yet, but. Keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, congrats on the new house. Without giving spoilers, on The Last Mandalorian, we found out not everything is forbidden. Is this rooted in canon or a result of the Pedro Pascal contract negotiations? Seems they found a way to appease him. No, no, no. This is totally a part of canon. See, one of the things, when Mandalorian started, when The Mandalorian started, the show, a lot of people who are deeper Star Wars fans are going, what the hell is this about not being able to take off your helmet? We've seen Mandalorians for years on Clone Wars and Rebels and all that kind of... We've seen them take off their helmets all the time. You know, they put on... They, yeah, they wear their helmets, but then they take them off. Simple, right? And a lot of deeper Star Wars is like, what the heck is this? Well, now we understand. It's a break-off splinter. It's a religious zealot sect that, that he was raised by. So, no. This is the way, <laughs> you see what I did there? This is the way it's always been. Mandalorians take off their helmets. It's just this exclusive sect that, that Pedro Pascal was a pass. But believe me, it had nothing to do with Pedro Pascal. You don't make your show around an actor, right? Actors are there to serve the story, not the other way around. So there's that. All right, thanks for writing that in, Yak. Uh, but yeah, if you've never watched... Clone Wars, I admit I'm not a big Clone Wars fan. I am a fan of Rebels, though, um, and they're made by the same guy. But I, I would recommend if you're interested in all this Mandalorian lore, go back. And even though I'm not a fan of Clone Wars myself, go back and watch Clone Wars. A lot of people do love it, and you might find that you love it, too. And then definitely I would recommend Rebels. But you'll see that Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time, like every day. Like, hey, it's Tuesday. I think I'll take my helmet off. Like, you know, they do it all the time. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, 
Uh, breaking. Disney capitalizes on success of Baby Yoda with Baby Char Char. Uh, maybe if George is still in charge, don't get me wrong. I love George. Got an altar built to him in my house that I will burn incense to and worship every day for the rest of my life. I love George, but, uh, yeah, yeah. No baby Jar Jar. No baby Jar Jar. All right. Murray Reich writes, although I wouldn't put it past them <laughs> to maybe pull that out sometime. Murray Reich writes, uh, I saw the new mutants and it was okay. Um, I feel like the only character they fleshed out the most was Anya Taylor-Joy. Movie had some good potential, but meh. I didn't realize it took place in an asylum. Uh, at one point, I was waiting for Glass and Dunn to show up. I see what you did there. Um, yeah, listen. I, I, New Mutants will be a movie that has a special place in my heart for a very, very long time. Because it was the first movie in six months that I went to go see in a movie theater. I, I drove to Las Vegas. I drove three and a half to four hours to Las Vegas because it was the closest movie theater that was open to me to go in and watch New Mutants when it came out. For that reason alone. And then I turned around and drove three and a half, four hours back with my buddy Soul. For that reason alone, New Mutants will always have a special place in my heart. But it wasn't that good. It had a lot of potential. It certainly had some highlights and it certainly had some good things about it. But at the end of the day, even though I, I enjoyed watching it, I did. I enjoyed watching it. I thought the good things outweighed the bad things, but it wasn't that great. It was, and I, I kind of go with you, Murray. It was okay. It was okay. I, it, it was perfectly fine for what it was. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I agree. All right. Next up, mischievous gremlin writes. Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Mischievous Gremlin. Thank you so much for asking. The first trailer for Tom and Jerry just hit the web and it looks meh. Uh, just reminds me of the horror of the horror that we saw in Alvin and the Chipmunks, Scooby-Doo and the Garfield movie. Have you seen it? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So the Tom and Jerry movie uh, where it's animated Tom and Jerry mixed in with live action. Seen it a million times before. It can work. It cannot work just like any movie. Saw the trailer. And I, I just, meh is the word, mischievous gremlin. Meh is the word. I will give it this. It had, it had a nice nostalgia feel to it. I'll, I'll give it that. It had a nice little nostalgia feel to it. Uh, some of the gags in it were very, very classic. But I, I, I you know, the, a movie trailer, we say this all the time. The job of a movie trailer is to take your anticipation level of a movie. doesn't matter if it's already high or if it's deep, deep low. But the job of a trailer is to take your anticipation level wherever it is and bump it up a couple of notches, right? This trailer did not do that for me. I, I'm just—I don't—I'm not saying the movie's going to suck. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, yeah, it didn't really work for me that much either, mischievous gremlin. Like I'm—I'm I'm on your side on this. It didn't really work for me. Maybe the next one will be much better. We'll have to wait and see. All right, James Argenta writes, "It is finally." It is finally will happen. IGN will debut the Chaos Walking trailer. Yes, they are. Uh, could be a big year. You know, it actually might already be out. As of the time of this recording, maybe even by the time you're watching this, the Chaos Walking trailer could be out. Uh, at any rate, um, could be a big year for Tom Holland with Chaos Walking. Cherry, the Russo Brothers film. Uncharted and Spider-Man 3 coming out. COVID delays pending. Yeah, listen, Chaos Walking... I have no expectations there because I heard from people who were on set that that movie is a complete and utter disaster. It was supposed to come out like a year ago. The, the term unwatchable was floated around about it. And then they had to wait for Daisy Ridley and others for their schedules to clear up so they could go do massive restructuring, not your typical reshoots that every big major film has, but like massive restructuring of the film. So, I don't know. Hey, look, World War Z, right? World War Z was apparently a disaster. And then they reworked like three quarters of the film. And it actually turned out pretty good. I think World War Z was actually pretty good. So maybe Chaos Walking will have that same experience. Because I heard it was like just garbage. I heard it was absolute garbage. So we'll see if all these reshootings and restructuring of the movie, let's see if that helps them out uh, in any way, shape or form. All right, guys, I got time for just a couple more. Uh, Aaron Schroeder writes regarding my comment yesterday. I'm not necessarily saying studios aren't trying their best, 
but that to them, targeting demographics is trying their best. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what makes a good film when it comes to franchises. Some studios think success can be uh, quantified with numbers and graphs rather than hiring screenwriters for creative reasons. Lower tier screenwriters will, will play ball. Guess what? Higher tier screenwriters will play ball too. Make no mistake about it. I actually heard Aaron Sorkin talk about that once. He said, at the end of the day, we are writers for hire. It reminds me, it was the exact same thing that Michael Douglas said to me once. I, I was talking to Michael Douglas uh, for his movie Last Vegas that he did with Robert De Niro. I love that movie, by the way. And I remember talking to Michael and I said, this isn't your normal kind of movie. Last Vegas, a great little comedy, right? I said, this isn't your normal kind of movie. What was it that that made you want to do this film? And Michael Douglas said, you know, we can romanticize it. He said, but at the end of the day, I am an actor for hire. It is my job. It is my profession. And I thought that was very, very insightful, actually. It seems very common sense, but it's also very insightful. And then I heard Aaron Sorkin say the thing, I am a writer for hire. Um, but at, at any rate, uh, lower tier screen artists play ball. However, I still think the studio's eyes, uh, the studios are trying their absolute best. Yeah, look, I, I think at the end of the day, do charts and graphs and studies and analytics play into it? Absolutely it does. If they see charts and analytics that show X kind of movie never makes more than $20 million at the box office, then they're going to avoid X kind of movie. If they see why kind of movie generally will exceed $200 million at the box office, then they're going to point their true north compass towards why. They're still going to bring in a screenwriter and say, make the best script you can, but make sure the script is pointing us towards why, right? That's why. Listen, uh, Man of Steel. You know me, most underrated comic book film of all time. I think one of the greatest comic book films of all time. Is there a little bit of a formula that you can recognize in that movie? Absolutely there is. A look of a, at Avengers. As great, I think Avengers is the greatest comic book movie of all time. Can you see a little bit of formula in there? Absolutely. But even if you look at movies like Moonlight, right? Even if you look at best picture winning movies like The Green Book, you will see a little bit of formula in there. In, in every dish you eat, there's a bit of a recipe that went into it. There's, a, there's some part of a recipe that somebody followed to get the dish that ends up on your table, and it can be delicious or awful, either or. But that does play into it, because remember, it's like Robert Meyer Burnett always says, it's not show friends, it's show business. At the end of the day, this is a business, and every movie is trying the best they can to make as much money they can, given the resources they have and balanced out with the story they want to tell. So they find the story they want to tell, then they want to find a way that they can make that story that'll make it earn money. And so there's always a part of that, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. At the end of the day, that has delivered us some of the greatest film, if not the greatest movies of all time. So uh, there's a little bit of that, Aaron, in there. But thank you for following up on that. I think you painted a better picture there for what it was you're trying to say. Thank you for clarifying that a bit. All right. Last question that I can take for today comes to us from Pelican Mike, who writes, John, what's most likely? John Favreau directing the finale after also doing the premiere, Filoni or Famiyua doing a second episode like last season, or a big surprise director being kept secret directing the finale? Only seven directors have been confirmed. Yeah, well, remember, I think it is far more likely that somebody directs two episodes, right? Last season, a couple of the directors did two episodes, right? Um, Filoni directed two episodes. And I'm forgetting the name of the incredible woman who directed, um, who also directed two, and she's going to be the director for the Obi-Wan series. Like, she's going to direct all of it. And I'm, I'm forgetting her name. I can't, she's a Canadian girl, too, Canadian Asian girl. And I cannot remember her name off the top of my head. Anyway, yeah, I think that is a thousand percent more likely. Now, whether that's Filoni or whether that's Favreau or whether it's Bryce Dallas Howard or, or one of the others, I think it is most likely there's a theory going around out there that George Lucas, don't laugh. This is actually floating around. There are people who believe this, that George Lucas is going to direct one of the episodes this season. If not the finale, I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. 
But it's not an impossibility, right? But yeah, I think that it is far, far more likely, since you had a couple of directors direct multiple episodes last season, I think it's far more likely that that happens again this year. And if I had to put five bucks on it, I'll put it on Favreau. I don't know. Maybe they've already answered that question. I'm just not aware of it, but I'd, I'd put my money on Favreau. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia show, a, a little bit different. It was pre-recorded, and again, I apologize for that, but I, I something emergency come up, and I didn't want to skip doing today's show, so uh, forgive me for that. Don't forget, the John Campia show will be back again tomorrow, live again. It's, it's tomorrow Thursday? I think tomorrow's Thursday, is it not? Or is tomorrow Tuesday? I keep getting my days mixed up. Tomorrow... It's Thursday, which means tomorrow will be No Pants Thursday. So Aaron Cummings should be here. Uh, and I hope you guys will come back and join us as well. Once again, guys, if you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second, go ahead and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel, click that little uh, update bell as well, and click like on this video, leave your comments or thoughts below. We'd love to hear from you. Guys, thank you for joining me, and a special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here involved with the channel, thank you guys very much for that. Guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, guys. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.